Welcome to the In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast, resources, and other ways to get connected, please visit inthelight.church. In Mario, um, going to each level, uh, what you're going to find eventually in playing that game is it's not just about going to each level and getting a bunch of power-ups. But the real purpose of the game and what Mario is set out to do emerges as he gets to the tail end of like every third level or something like that. He, it really emerges and comes forth what he really is, really what the game is about. And, and it's just not about going around getting power-ups, growing bigger and, and, and collecting coins, getting richer. You know, it, it, the, the real story and the real purpose of Mario emerges at the end of third level. And I don't know if they so, uh, showed it up there a little bit before, but you can just see the run-through of what happens at the end of every third level uh, as they show it is they're not there just to, he's just not there playing to power up points or, or collecting coins, but he is actually rescuing the lives of others from the enemy. Are you following me? So, so he's just not, you know, it's all cool. He's like, man, I'm just leveling up and I'm just playing Super Mario and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, stepping on some killer mushrooms and I'm going into these secret caverns. But then as you play the game, it's like, oh, there's a purpose to all this. It's not just having fun, but it's actually my life Mario might think, my life is to save or rescue the life of another. So that makes it a lot more fascinating that you're just like, I'm just not doing this and I'm just playing a game and I'm not just, you know, killing things and, and, and just letting, you know, doing all this fun stuff and discovering new worlds. But Princess Toadstool is, is waiting for me to rescue her. Like, like, there is royalty that needs me to rescue it. Are you following me? And so they, they go, again, I, I think they already showed the clip, and maybe they're afraid to show it again. But it's, it, it was up there where you just kind of see the, the run-through of, uh, of them, him running through. And, and there's like this, this Koopa monster and his breathing fire. There you go. And it's like jumping through things. And, yeah, now it gets past the devil. And the devil goes into the lake of fire. <laughs> and look, thank you, Mario. There is a princess. Your quest is over. We present you a new quest. Because that story of rescuing others should never be a quest we stop having. I, I don't know uh, how imaginative you've been about thinking about how you're going to die. And that sounds a little morbid here. Just, just work with me. But you're like thinking about, man, if I die, I would like to die like this. And usually if we're imagining our own death, we're hoping that it's heroic. Right? It's like I want to do something heroic. I don't want to be doing this dumb stuff. Like I was texting while I was walking across the street and like, oh, God. And then, and then they have to make up a story about how it happened. Like, like, you don't imagine a tragic death, 
right? But a heroic one. I would think you would want to, if you're going to die and, and you're going to give your life, I want it to be a heroic thing that I, like, achieved or, or things that I did. I don't want to be a tragic uh, death. So we all have ways that we would probably prefer to die and say, I would, you know, we would, just, I would love to be a martyr. Like, let me go doing something for Jesus. Don't let me be, like, on the Titanic. Like, no. Well, well you could witness everybody on the way down. But still, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to do a Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I don't want to be, like, on vacation or something. I want to be doing something for the kingdom. I want to die heroic. Uh, but I don't know if we give as much time, though we might give some time in thinking about how we're going to die. And wanna, but how much do we give of our headspace to thinking about where we will be when we die? Or do we take it for granted where we would be? How often do you think about eternity and eternal things? Because you know that this is only, the Bible describes this as just a breath, as a vapor. And can you believe what you do in these few moments affects your eternity? Do you know how long eternity is? It's long. It's eternal. See, what we're living now in this limited time and space, in these fleshly bodies that have a soul inside of it, so that when our body is gone, this eternal soul lives forever. How often do we think about eternity and where our soul is going to spend for eternity? So in heavens, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Revelation, it talks about heaven. Uh, just real quick um, here, we won't go into depth for, for the sake of time, but uh, the reality is when we're absent in body, we are present before the Lord, and we're going to be being judged by him. And how we're judged and how we live our lives, how we're going to be judged when we get there. And we're not going to, I don't know how, if you're thinking like when I get there, I'm going to just have a thousand, a million virgins or something like that. And so that, 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 that promise, how other people depict those, what eternity looks like is not founded well, and it's based on maybe lust more than it is on on truth. And so uh, for us, the Bible not only gives us an accurate account of our origins, our beginnings, but it also gives us a picture of our future and our eternal um, forever that happens in, at our end. And so in Revelation 21, 3, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that a, that's just a dope picture of in eternity, all the things that we long for in the here and now is basically evidence that we're longing for heaven to be our home. Where there is no tear, there's no anxiety, there's no poor, there's no this, there's no disease. That is what heaven is like. Heaven is no sadness. He's wiping out your tear. There's no, there's no pain. There's no any of those things. Aren't you looking forward to your new body as well? Man, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward to the new body. You know, the, the, the one that hasn't been, you know, added on to. But the one is exactly the soul, exactly how he intended me to look and to be. So 
They were free from death and decay. I mean, I can go on and on about what heaven is like, but do you give time to think about eternity and the fact that there's only two options in eternity of where we're going to spend? It's either going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. There's no limbo. There's no, I hope my relatives do a good job of doing some good works and praise me out of purgatory. There's none of that. This is, this is heaven or hell, as it talks about in the word and through the scripture. And, and then it t- talks about what hell is like. It doesn't want us to be ignorant to the fact that, that, that when we get there, like, man, I wish somebody would have told me about that. It's like, well, that's not going to be the case when it comes to God. God informs us of that there's an eternity that our soul will spend the rest of its life in, and it's heaven or hell. And hell in Luke, it talks, uh, he gives this parable, and this parable is like this picture of this rich man and this poor man. It says this in Luke 16. It says this, Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So how many know that Lazarus probably lived a life of sorrow, of pain, of disease? And this rich man lived the me- uh, of, of like all you can have in life. He experienced it. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at a heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. So listen to it's the descriptives here. The place that's away from heaven is a place of torment. Heaven is without tears. Heaven is all you're doing is hearing cries. Hell is where all you're hearing is cries. And it says... um, I'm in anguish in these flames. And Abraham Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you have everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one could cross over to us from there. So at this point, there's in a separation that makes it impossible for any transference to take place at that point. In other words, it's done. It's over. Your eternity is sealed. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. It's not like those rapper songs that go out. If I'm hell, it's going to be good because I'm going to be with my homies. It's like, no, I don't even want my homies to be here. I don't want my brother to be here. I don't want anybody to be in this place. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy to experience hell like that. Who's going there? Who's going there? In Galatians, it says, I'm going to read it in a message version because it was interesting. In Galatians 5, 19 or 21, said, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, 
Don't you just like that version? Hmm. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming, never, all-consuming yet never-ending satisfied once, a brutal temper, a impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habits of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are, are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. So everything that was just described there of saying this is what hell is reserved for, this is the people that put themselves in a position where they're going to experience eternal separation from God. But he lets us know that some of you were like that. All those things, you used to be like that. What does that include? Homosexuality, thieves, male prostitutes, commit. There were people that were in the church or a part of the remnant or the people that were going to heaven that used to be a certain way. But thank God for God that he was able to reach into their lives, give them some hope. And that doesn't have to be their eternal state where they find themselves in eternal separation. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed and you were made holy and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So eternity, eternity is there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is eternal separation. And he even gives us clues and understanding of who will spend, where, uh, who will spend, uh, where will they spend their eternity based on how they live their lives. Here is our God and what's fascinating about him because God doesn't just sit back when Man falls into sin through the, the first sin that took place in the garden. And then he continues to send people to rescue his lost children again and again. God is not just up there collecting coins and being all powerful. But God is about the life of his children and the life of others and those that he created. And I just want you to think about what it took to rescue us. That God, experiencing perfection, sent his son to go amongst the imperfect world. Nothing like heaven, where there was no tears in heaven. There was no disease in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's no, there's no people trying to destroy each other in heaven. So he leaves heaven to come and rescue us. Basically, God is, God is like, sin has come in to rob my children of eternity with me 
And the devil has come to rob them of their destiny. Game on. Game on. And he, like Mario, moves through all the, the trials and moves through all what the enemy has done in this world. He stomps on the enemy. He breaks bricks for people. He does all this stuff that Mario... But he knows that his purpose of being in this world is not just to play games, but to rescue a life. To go after those who are lost. And he does that. He goes and he rescues us. And he goes into our, our situation, which we're used to, but a lot of our situations was hell on earth. And he literally goes. When he gets crucified, he's buried. And for three days, he is no longer on the earth. Where is he going? He's going to that underworld, if you will, because he has to get the keys of, uh, of, of, of life. He has to get the keys of, of, of Hades. He goes into that place, and he snatches the keys off of death. And now he swallowed up death to be able to bring us life, eternal life with him. I mean, he goes after us, y'all. He goes after us. The love of God goes after you and I. I love to see it this way because we're, we're in a room of people and we're thinking, man, I, well, he might have not come if it was just me. If it was just you, if it was just you, he would have still came. My God. And I take this personal because I think about just my stuff. And, you know, I, I know we have, but... Man, he came into my hell. Do you remember that moment for you? I remember that moment for me. That was a moment. My moment of salvation is not like one of those moments where you, like, oh, I, I don't know when I got saved. No, I, I, I knew I needed saving. You, you would not quickly forget if you were drowning and somebody jumped into the ocean to get you. Or if you were in a burning building and somebody came and got you. You wouldn't quickly forget that person, would you? Like, man, I was about to die. I was at the end of it all. And here comes some person, and they came crashing in and snatched me out. This is what it was for me. I was at that place of death. I was in the place of, like, I didn't, I didn't want to live. I was so tired of being the jokester in front of everybody else, but to go home and be tormented in my mind, feeling that I wasn't worth anything and my life wasn't worth being loved or, or I just didn't feel like I fit anywhere. And that it was a working for me in the depression that overtook me. I used to actually have to take um, like manic depressant. I was diagnosed manic depressant. They, they were giving me, they were medicating me just so that I can get sleep at night because one of the symptoms of manic depression is insomnia. That's where he found me. That's where I was. I wasn't doing good. I wasn't looking good. I was in my own personal hell, hearing the voices. Just take your life. No one's going to care. They might cry for a little bit. No one really cares. And the lies were so audible. And I cried out to God. I said, God, I just need peace. If you can just, the God that I've been going to church hearing about, my dad's been preaching about, if you are real, come into this place and help me. I actually asked them just to help. I didn't even say like a sinner's prayer of like, you know, Jesus by your blood. I didn't, I just said help. 
It was a SOS. If you're real help, if you're real show up. That's exactly what he did when he came into that place. Oh, my God, the peace that came into that place where I was depressed. I don't know how I found sleep after that moment. All I know is waking up the next morning saying, that was God. Because that's the last name I remember saying. And that's the first thing I remember when I woke up. That was God. It meant something for me. You read Luke 15. And in Luke 15, I'm not going to read it to you now. But in Luke 15... Jesus is amongst sinners. He is amongst people who are far from God. Amongst tax collectors, amongst some of the most, some wicked people. That the religious people of that day, the church people of that day, said, we don't hang out with these folk. And so there he was sitting amongst them. And, and you know, they started to murmur, started to complain. And he goes into these parables. And he goes into them back to back. This is the first time he's like back to back with something like this. And he tells a story of some lost, a lost sheep. He said, who, if you had a hundred sheep, if you had one that went astray and got lost, wouldn't go out there and get that sheep. And when you come back, wouldn't rejoice and tell everybody that you found what you had lost so that everybody can celebrate and come together. And while he's telling this story of that, and they're imagining that in their head, he jumps into another thing. He says, okay, maybe you're not into animals. He said, who of you, having 10 coins, if you would have lost one of those coins? So those of you who are into money, if you lose one of those coins, wouldn't think of that coin as having extreme value and worth and go, it says, turning the house upside down to find the coin that you lost in the house. And when you found it, wouldn't be rejoicing because now everything you had is complete. Because what is nine without the tenth? Wanting it all to be there. Wouldn't you rejoice if you found your currency? And then he goes into the longest one. He says, okay, you might not be into animals. You might have no soft spot. For animals, you might not have a soft spot in your heart for money. But let me just get to my point. He says, there was a father who had two sons. And he goes into this story of a son who takes the inheritance of his father, takes everything his father, and leaves the home to live a reckless lifestyle. And while he's out there living his reckless lifestyle, he starts to, there's a, there's a, he loses all the money, loses everything that he has, ends up having to work. For nothing, he ends up being in a pig pen now and starts to recall it was better at home. It was better with my father. But will he still accept me because of the shame that I brought to our family? And so he says, well, you know what? It'd be better if I'm just a slave. Even if I'm not considered a son, if I'm just a slave in my father's house, it's better than this. And so he makes his way back home, probably rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. His father says the prodigal's father sees him from afar. So what it's saying is that the father never stopped looking. It's not like the son comes up on the door and knocks on the door and then it's like, Dad, I'm home. It's like every day the father is looking for his lost son. He's waiting for him to come to his senses and just move towards him. And at the point of just 
where he can see him, the father takes up his garment. He takes off running and sprinting towards his son. Doesn't give his son a chance to even speak the speech that he might have had been rehearsing. And he says, no, my son, you are home. You are home. It's just the fact that you're home. You, you have me at hello. You have me at hello. And he comes and he just puts dignity back on his son. He brings him to this house. He throws a party, and he says, this is my father's heart. This is my father's heart. This is who I am. So the, the, the religious people are complaining about what he's like. He's complaining, why are you with these sinners? Why are you with these tax collectors? Why are you with these, these degenerate people? He says, man... I'm amongst the lost because these are the ones I came to rescue. I've come for the lost coins. I've come for the lost sheep. i come for the lost, my, my, my children that are lost. This is who I am. I'm not here for just coins. I'm not here just to show power. I'm not here just to see diseases healed. And that's all good. And I want to see people set free. I want them to experience the fullness of life. But I'm here to seek and save that which is lost. And see, if you have a story like mine, or you have a story where you were lost and you were found, and you had a rescuer that rescued you and saved you from you, Saved you from the enemy, saved you from your habits, saved you from the mindset, saved you from whatever. When you have a rescue, a rescuer that's rescued you, you can't help it. But become what you've been, the one who rescued you, you can't help become like your rescuer. You can't help but to look for that which was lost because you have experienced the joy of your salvation. And, and what that spills over into is other people need to find what I found. Other people need to experience what I experience. You begin to know your worth. I think it's the first thing that you begin to experience is, wow, God loves me. God rescued me. God, and, and through Jesus, spilled his blood for me. My God, I wouldn't even do that. I mean, I might do that for somebody I love, but somebody who's my enemy to give my blood? Think about it. Like, would you give your blood for somebody who killed your child? You wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't. Like, like they deserve the electric chair. They deserve to be killed. But he came to us who killed his son because our sin deserves death. And that's who he demonstrates love for. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel like I'm worth trillions of dollars, that I know my value, that I know my worth. If it's worth the blood of a God, I'm worth the blood of a God. Woo! I never said that before. I just like a... The God. I'm worth something. Then I'm looking around and like, but wait, others are worth 
something as well. They just don't understand their value. They just don't understand their worth. Maybe they're locked into the same thing I was locked in. Maybe they're behind that Koopa. Maybe they're behind that dragon. Maybe they're just in a place where they're so ensnared and captive that they don't realize that. The same way I was and he came for me, can I partner with him and come for others and to rescue them so that they can come into the joy of their salvation? In Acts 8, and this is the main scripture here I want us to look at. In Acts 8, 26, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but there was a, one of these guys who were considered a deacon of the church, which means they serve, and they specifically serve the widows. Just a deacon at the church filled with the spirit. His name was Philip. And it says, in Acts 26, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading out loud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of the scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told them the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the towns of uh, Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Philip spent time with Jesus. Philip spent time in his word. He spent time. Philip had such an encounter with Jesus that he was able to be instructed by ministers of heaven, which are the angels. And an angel spoke to Philip to go down and to go and minister to somebody who was, get, get this, he was a eunuch. He was Ethiopian. So there's a bunch of things about this character that heaven is pursuing that wouldn't necessarily be the cup of tea of, of, of Philip or even the Jewish people because they were so outside maybe their radar. But that's exactly who God was looking to save. He was looking to save a eunuch. Do you know what a eunuch is? Is a castrated man. So this, this eunuch is a picture of somebody whose sexual identity had been changed. 
Wow. And now Ethiopian, so it's just a different nationality. It's a different sexual orientation. I just, I just he, he's, and, and, and this person is prominent, meaning they have money. So it's, it's an elite individual, and they're in the wilderness. They're not in a convenient spot. This is not like we're doing this at church. This is like we're going to a territory that's like unbecoming. This is like we're not doing this in the spotlight. We're doing this in an inconvenient spot, away from a lot of people in a desert place. And so do you see where the love of God will take you? Do you see where heaven will take you to rescue somebody? It will take you, it drive you into a wilderness. It will drive you to somebody who's a different nationality, who you might not have nothing in common with. It will take you, Philip goes from taking care of widows to going to a prominent person. It's like, I don't even, how do you identify with that person who their sexual identity has been changed? But the love of God was pursuing this eunuch. The love of God was coming after this person, and God just needed somebody to partner with to rescue who he was rescuing. And Philip made himself wide open, wherever you want to take me, wherever you want to go. And so he goes into that place. And I don't know if you realize, but God is preparing the harvest. It's nothing wrong with the harvest. It's the laborers. It's nothing. There are people that are out there that you might look at and say, they're not ready. They're not ready. God's saying, they're ready. They're ready. You don't even realize, but they're in their place. And they are these people that have a hunger and longing for God. They just don't know who to go to. Because in their circle, there's nobody there. That it can interpret what they're reading, interpret what they're dreaming, understand what's going on in their soul. But if we were sensitive enough and spending time with Jesus, Jesus would highlight somebody and say, go talk to that person. I'd be like, I don't know what, what letter they are, God. I don't know what letter they are. I don't know if they're LGB. I don't know what letter they are. Don't worry about the letters. I want you to go and speak my word and you be a living letter. And you'll make sense of their confusion and chaos. I know some of you don't want to clap your hands because you might be like, it's not politically correct or you don't, you haven't settled on that issue. But I'm just saying, God is after. He sits, Jesus sits with sinners. He sits with tax collectors. He's saying they're just lost. They just don't know my truth. They're ignorant to eternity. The devil has them captured and I'm going, and I will do whatever it takes to get past whatever devil, whatever fireball, whatever subterranean place I need to go to find them and to discover them and to see them set free. When you spend time for, with Jesus, you spend time looking for who he is looking for. See, this was cool, and this is how I see it. I see when, when I spend time with Jesus, Jesus does, he looks at me. He looks at me, and I think a lot of us just get so mesmerized by the eyes of Jesus when he just looks at us, and he's like, man, he just loves me. Look at the way he's looking at me. Look at the way he feels towards me. Look at the way his word says to me. And we can, but when you spend time with Jesus, as Jesus is, there's sometimes, think about like your dad. Think about a father. He spends time with you. He enjoys you, but there's times where he might be doing some other things, and but if you really want to spend time for him, you'll, you might knock on his office door and you might creep in or something because you just want to spend time with your, your dad. And when you creep in there, what Jesus or your dad, just imagine Jesus being your dad, but 
your dad and coming into that office and coming to that place, you come over and like, what are you doing? Because you just want him to look at you. Like, I just want to look at you. I want to spend time with you. And then he doesn't mind looking at you, but you see him with tears in his eyes as he's looking at a photo album of a bunch of children that are not yet his. You want to spend time with him, but he also, he wants to spend time with you, but he also wants to spend time with them. He also wants to have them where you are. It would be like, but even looking at the photo album, and some of the photo album is like your brothers and sisters. Like your father can love you, but love, he's still going to long for your brother or sister that might have fallen away from home. But when you spend time with him, and you love him, and you love how he loves you, and you know how much you're worth in front of him, man, why wouldn't you want to go out? And bring pleasure to your father. And go and save what his heart is longing for. Because he desires none to perish. No, not one. He doesn't desire any of your brothers or sisters or anybody that are out there. That might not look like you or might look like you. That are out there. That need rescuing. Wouldn't you, if you loved him, want to go out there and rescue for him? The same way he rescued you. And have them, if they just know the love of the Father, if they just know how good God is, if they just come back home, I will snatch their soul from an eternal separation from him. I will, attach, I will snatch their soul from hell. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place where the worm never dies, it says. It's a term of gnashing of teeth. It's a place of regret. And while they're out there thinking they're having fun doing their sin, they don't realize that in this short life time span that they have in life, what it's going to result to in eternity, somebody's going to have to say something because there's people that are captured by the dragon. There's people that are being lied to by the devil. There's people that are giving into their flesh and thinking this is all there is to life. It says, when, it says those who win souls are wise. Proverbs 11.30. Because when you go out there and you begin to change others, it changes you. I don't know one person who's come back from a missions trip that are like, I'm not changed. That didn't affect me. They go out there to serve, but in serving and doing the kingdom work, man, they come back like, I am changed. I, I, I see Jesus differently. I see the world differently. I see people differently as a result of going out and rescuing those who need rescuing. Can I, leveling up, you will need to, and if you want to level up, you need to snatch souls from hell. Are you a soul snatcher? Because there's people that are right at the cusp. And we don't know the time, day, or hour for people. But there are people that are right at the cusp. I don't know if it's too strong of a statement, but if you're not rescuing others, you might not be saved. I want you to think about that. You might not be saved if you have no interest in saving others. Like how, how selfish, right? Like, like you save, so, so to me, I don't even think, of, like if you're not saving others, if you're not looking other people to rescue, have you been rescued? 
Because when I tasted of that and I've known of that and I experienced that, man, I, I told you guys the stories. I was going on SEPTA, going to work in my security guard uniform. Can you imagine me as a security guard? I was a security guard. I just had my Bible open, not reading it, but for people to ask me questions about it so I can minister to them about it. I just, I just wanted to talk to people about Jesus. When Jesus is your rescuer, you will model his behavior. Let me say this as I'm wrapping this up. There are two types of people that need rescuing. This is interesting. But the one is the lost, those who are ignorant and that are far from Jesus. We know of that. There's people who just don't know of Jesus. They never heard of him. They're just lost. They, they, they don't even realize the need for a Savior. They're just, just lost. And so we know that there's people that haven't tasted of the goodness of God, and they're just ignorant to it all. And your story would be so refreshing to them to hear about that, what God has done and what Jesus has done for them. And it's awesome when you meet those people and you get to talk to them and get to bring them in. But there's another type that need rescuing. And that is your lost brother and sister. I believe, and actually scripture can back it up, that there's people who have been saved, but they begin to wander. And, and if we would just begin to identify and begin to plead, because if you're finding time and if you're spending time with Jesus, you're realizing that you have brothers or sisters that are beginning to act according to their old nature and not their new nature. And you can begin to see something in their countenance and something in their life. They're losing that loving feeling. Something's being, they're getting more aggravated. They're impatient. They're not demonstrating any of the fruits of the Spirit. And in that point, their brother is becoming lost. They're not lost when they leave church. Sometimes they're wondering while they're still in church. And we have to be a people that are so spending time with Jesus that we're able to see our lost brother and sister that might be next to us or behind us or around us and that we begin to move towards them and to plead with them and to pray with them and to prophesy over them to remind them to jar them awake because they're at the jeopardy of losing something it talks about in first Timothy 6 21 that there are people who have wandered from the faith they have wandered from the faith and I'm all for street outreach. We need a street outreach. We need to go for people. And many times what we do when we go out there is we found people who just lost them, that they were once with him, but now they're finding themselves in this thing where they wandered. I wonder if we can, I, I want to snatch souls, but I also want us to prevent souls from getting to the place where they need to be snatched because they're losing their love. They're losing their passion. They're losing their cutting edge. We can just be like our brothers, like a, like a brother to our brother, a sister to our sister, because they could be amongst us and struggling. Hmm. We are all evangelists of something. We're all evangelizing something. She's like, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gift. You're evangelizing an evangelist for that restaurant? You're evangelist for that movie? What's an evangelist? Is convincing somebody to partake in. And like I'm speaking, I'm marketing it, I'm, 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 I'm giving it, I'm emphasizing it because you discovered a good movie. What do you want to do? Oh, I want other people to see this movie enjoy it too. Man, I got this store, this awesome discount. I want you to experience this awesome discount. I want you to save like I got saved. Oh, I'm sorry. Save like I had, I 
was able to save. You're all evangelizing something. Oh, you got to taste this when you go there. You got to eat this when you go there. You're all evangelizing something. Because when you experience something that you enjoy, when you experience something that just does something inside of you, you can't and you won't keep it to yourself. Am I lying? You won't keep it to yourself. You'll let them know of that book. You'll let them know of that store. You will let them know because you bought it, you found it, you enjoyed it, and now you want others to experience the same thing. You're evangelizing something. So I love this when I was working for um, another job I was working for. I was working for Taco Bell in Erie and Torresdale. What was I, about 2019, 20 years old, something like that. I think we had just got married or I had the job before that. Okay. So, yeah, 18, 19. So I was working there, and, and this was after my conversion and, and whatever. And remember, I'm on fire. I just, I just love the Lord, and here I am amongst peers and friends, and, and I go right into that environment, and these guys who are cussing, they're like, oh, after a while, they're like, why don't you cuss? Like, I didn't know it stood out so much. And it's like, man, you know, we're here. It's like, and I would tell them, well, no, I mean, that was something I used to do. But, you know, and I tell them, it's not like it all has to be crazy churchy, right? Well, I'm a Christian. I found Jesus. That doesn't mean a lot. A lot of people are cussing Christians, by the way. God's just working on me. He's just working on me. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let him keep working. Um, so, so, yeah, I, that used to be something. Uh, I did, but this is what happened, man. I just found, I found Jesus. He just kind of purified my heart and my language and everything. It's just amazing. So, so I little by little was talking to them about different things. They were asking about me. They were so curious because I looked so much like one of them. Like, why is this guy not looking like, like the girls like we're looking at? Because every time they'd be like, oh, come on, check out this girl in drive through Come here, come here, come here, come here. And, and like all the guys would go over and look, and I'm just sitting there preparing the tacos. So, like, they're just, like, fascinated to the point that after we were cleaning up, after store, uh, stores closed down, uh, one of the guys, you know, just said, hey, man, can you remind me, just like, tell me about you. Tell me a little bit about you. Like, so he's so curious. He asked me about me, and, and I just said, well, and I just went through my story. I said, man, this is who I was, and I was around this, and I grew up in church, but, you know, playing both sides of the track, and, and I went to all that stuff. And, you know, you would think my story would be so irrelatable to them because I, you know, have more of a Christian upbringing. Um, and they'd be like, well, your story. But I just kept going. I said, look, just because I was in these settings and in these places doesn't mean I was real about it. And it was until this age, and this is what happened with me. And so these guys are like, one guy's there. Another guy starts creeping over and listening and stops his cleaning and starts listening. And then they start uh, talking. And, and at one point, I was just going for it, right? I'm just talking. I'm like, yeah, they gave me an opportunity. And, and, as, and the guy's like, you got to stop now. Like, I got to walk it because I'm about to cry. And, like, so I'm like, oh, for real? Like, what, what, what's happening here? <laughs> so, and I just, I, I did, I, I, like, looking back now, the Spirit of God 
was moving in that place and moving upon the heart and preparing them by the lifestyle I lived to have an audience before them so that when I would speak, it would be something of power. It would have integrity with it. And so, so I, I speak. By this time, everybody who's closing the store is getting around me. There's like five of us all together, four of them all gathered around. And they were so, I was like, man, we could, I could pray for you right now. They were, and they were just like moved by the prayer. I said, listen, like, oh, they, they said this. I didn't even ask them. It was like, man, let's just, it's like, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Let's just stay over at your house to one of the guys. Let's just stay over your house. I want to go to church tomorrow. I want to go to his church. I want to go where they're at. So they did that exact thing. They all stayed at the house, and I was so shocked. They showed up the next day to, like, Sunday school. They showed up the next day to church. And um, it was just so powerful to have that moment where my personal witness rescued them, rescued them. And, and, and found them where they were. They were not used to the things I was saying. They, were not, they didn't grow up like I grew up. But they knew the depression. They knew the darkness. And they knew the longing that happens in everybody's heart that hasn't had that gap or that void filled with Jesus Christ. And giving them that impersonal encounter caused them to long for it for themselves. And we're able to be ministered to. And many of them, again, got prayed for. And I was able to lead them to the sinner's prayer. I rescued somebody. I rescued somebody with the help of the one who rescued me. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Subscribe to our podcast and social media outlets to be kept up to date with everything going on at In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia.